But if you're reading through the Bible pro, uh, plan, yesterday you would have read in Ezra 4 and in Matthew 4. So go with me there. And these two passages are closely tied. And as I was reading them, I was just making some notes in my journal about <clears throat> what I was seeing in these two passages and how they're closely combined. And then Andrew calls and find out he can't come. So this became... Um, just some thoughts I want to give you this morning on six principles or six impressions of Ezra 4 and Matthew 4 as it pertains to how to handle opposition. Now, how it pertains to how to handle opposition that is outside of the normal. If you are intending in 2014 to do anything out of the normal, and when I say out of the normal, I mean anything that you aren't currently doing or that you were doing in 2013. If you're trying to ratchet it up a few notches and really trying to see how you might be able to uh, discipline yourself and your family to honor the Lord more, do more for the advancement of his kingdom, you're going to experience opposition. And I think that there are some principles in these verses, in these passages that would help us remember that when we face this opposition what we can do, and what we can expect. Look with me in Ezra 4. <clears throat> now when the adversaries, verse 1, of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the, houses, and the heads of fathers' houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do, and we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esrahadon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of fathers' houses in Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded to us. Well, they don't like that. So they don't like the fact that they're getting left out a little bit, and their true colors show, and they go after the people of Judah and Benjamin. Verse 4, Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purposes all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And I'm not going to go through the entire uh, accusation. I'll get into that in a little bit. But you see verse 7 through verse 16 they write this accusation to King Xerxes, or King Ahasuerus, and they give it to him and basically say, hey, these guys are not who they say they are. Look back in history. They're going to rebel against you. They're not going to pay their taxes. You're not going to be honored as king. You need to pull the plug on them. And the king reads it, goes back in history, sees that, oh, hey, what? What do you know? This was a, a warring tribe. They didn't like us. We didn't like them. Yep, so they're probably going to do it again. And we're going to stop them. He says this in verse 17. The king sent an answer to Rahum the commander and Shemshai the scribe and the rest of their associates who live in Samaria and the rest of the province beyond the river greeting. And now the letter that you have sent to us has been plainly read before me and I made a decree and search has been made and it has been found that this city from of old has risen against kings and that rebellion and sedition have been made in it. And mighty kings have been over Jerusalem who ruled over the whole province beyond the river to whom tribute, custom, and toll were paid. Therefore make a decree that these men may be, be made to cease and that this city be not rebuilt until a decree is made by me. And take care not to be slack in this matter. Why should damage grow to the hurt of the king? This is Ezra 4. We have the Israelites seeking 
to do a more than ordinary thing for the advancement of the cause of Christ. They're seeking to rebuild the temple. That was a monumental task that they were undertaking. Now let's go to Matthew 4. Christ here in Matthew 4 is doing something out of the ordinary. I don't know too many people that have fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And this is what he was engaged in out in the wilderness. Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after 40 days and 40 nights, and the Bible is humorous, it says, he was hungry. Yeah, he was hungry. (laughs) And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For as it is written, he shall command his angels concerning you. (coughs) And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. These two passages are closely related simply because here's two individuals or two peoples, a peoples and an individual, that are seeking to do more than the ordinary, and they're experiencing opposition. And I think there are six principles or six impressions that you can see here in Scripture of how to handle this opposition when it comes. And I can guarantee you it's going to come into your life. Principle number one. When doing the will of God, and especially when doing a hard or difficult task for the advancement of the kingdom, expect that opposition will come. And this is where I think we oftentimes uh, mess up. And now these six grow on each other. But sometimes we fail just in this. We're thinking, man, we love Jesus. We're going to do what Jesus wants us to do. So it's just going to be smooth sailing. And then we have a little hiccup and then another hiccup or then a fall or then a test. And we don't quite know how to respond. We've got to expect if we're going to live for Christ and all that he commands us to do for him, then you can expect opposition is going to come. And it's probably going to be Principle number two, fully expect that the opposition will be strong and unfair in nature. Now, why did I put unfair in there? Go back to Ezra 4. You see there at verse 1. What are Judah and Benjamin doing? They're building a temple. That's all they're doing. They're not rebuilding the wall. That was Nehemiah. They're just building the temple. But then look at the accusations that are sent to King Xerxes. Verse verse 12. And now be it known to the king that the Jews who came up from you to us have gone to Jerusalem. They are rebuilding, rebuilding the rebellious and wicked city. Are they? Uh-uh. They're rebuilding. The, that's all they were doing is rebuilding the temple. They're not rebuilding the whole city. 
They are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Were they doing that? No, they weren't doing that. Now be it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls finished, they weren't doing that. They were just rebuilding the temple. They will not pay tribute, custom, or toll, and the royal revenue will be impaired. Well, then you go all the way down here and look how they handle it. Verse 23, the king simply tells them, make them cease. He doesn't say do it by force. He doesn't say uh, be mean to them. He doesn't say anything other than make them cease. Then when the, king, when the copy of King Xerxes' letter was read before Rahum and Shimshai, the scribe and their associates, verse 23 of Ezra 4, they went in haste to the Jews at Jerusalem and by force and power made them cease. Then the work on the house of God, notice comes back to the true reality of what's going on, it's just working on the temple. House of God that is in Jerusalem stopped and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. It stopped between nine and fifteen years by the historical record. So here we have the opposition is being very, very unfair in nature. And we would say in our culture, hey, you got to play fair, right? Everybody's got to be a winner. You know, everybody play fair now. Nobody can play unfair. Well, that's not the way it works. The enemy's always going to play unfair because he doesn't have a moral code by which he has to subscribe to. We have to play fair, quote unquote, according to Scripture. We have to live out our lives according to Scripture. Well, they're going to simply live out their lives. The opposition is going to do that which is according to their nature, as we are supposed to do which is that which is according to our nature, which should be Scripture. Fully expect that the opposition will be strong and unfair in nature. Principle number three. Expect the opposition to be targeted at your weak areas. Expect the opposition to be targeted at your weak areas. Now, you see this in Matthew 4. What's the weak area Christ is in? He's physically exhausted and he's very hungry. And in Ezra 4, look at the weak areas that they're involved with. When you're, experience, when you're taking on a monumental task, you're naturally going to have um, a little bit of anxiety about it. You think, man, can we do this? Is this really possible, what we're seeking to do? Well, look at where the opposition came and attacked. Verse 4 of Ezra 4. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purposes. I would say that a lot of times the weak areas that we have are either emotionally or physically. Emotionally or physically. Vince Lombardi, a famous football coach, says weakness, fatigue, makes cowards of us all. And you can expect in your life that when you're extra tired or run down, you're going to get more opposition. And why not? The enemy would be thinking, hey, look, tired guy, this is an opportunity to take him over. So you can expect this. When you're strung out, when you're anxious, when you're stressed, the emotions are strung out, you can expect that's a weak area. The opposition is going to come there. And discouragement and depression, anxiety, fear, this is where these things are going to come. Christ was weak physically. Look, here's the enemy coming to him. And what is the, what is the temptation? Hey, all you've got to do is just touch this little stone and you've got a nice, hot loaf of homemade bread. Forty days, aren't you a little hungry? Just touch this, it'll be okay. There's the temptation aimed at the weaknesses. Now, I would also say, though, got to watch out for attacks upon the strong areas as well. Because look at where the men in Scripture fell. They often fell in their strong areas. David was a man after God's own heart. He fell morally. Moses, 
Abraham, all these men fell in areas that they were very strong in. Moses was the meekest man. And yet what happened? He got angry, struck this rock, and then God cursed his, prohibited him from going into the promised land. So we've got to remember to watch out for our weak areas, but watch out for the strong areas as well. Now I think if there were uh, two of these principles out of the six that are most important, it'd be four and five. Here's number four. This is critical. Principle number four. The opposition rarely leaves when you begin to fight back, but in fact normally escalates the attack. Now this is where, this is where I think most young men that I've worked with or that I've known that fight against sin, this is where they lose. They're thinking, man, I can whip this sin. I'm going to memorize a verse, two, three, or four, or five. I've got a nice little battle plan for how I'm going to fight whatever the sin this is. And here comes the enemy and he attacks. I'm ready. I throw out my verse. Oh man, that didn't work. Now what do I do? He's coming again. In fact, it's coming even harder. And this is where we often fail, is understanding that, hey, that doesn't mean, and we'll get to it in a few minutes, that doesn't mean you just give up and roll over. That doesn't mean you think, well, it didn't work, so apparently I'm not doing it right, so I'm just going to give in. You've got to know that when you begin to fight back, you're, that the, the enemy, the opposition, the temptation will begin to escalate in its attack. Now, you see that in Ezra 4. Uh, they said, nope, we're not going to do it. You can't come build a wall with us. So the attack was escalated. And then it didn't get stopped, so the attack was escalated even more. And then they finally got to stop. Look at Matthew, Matthew 4. I think this is interesting in that the attack that Satan has upon Jesus is not just escalated uh, spiritually, it's escalated physically. We start on the ground. Here's some bread. If you just make this into bread, no problem. Oh, he's not going to do that. So we're going to take you up a little bit to the pinnacle, the top of the temple. We're going to take you to the steeple, look over all everything and say, this can be yours. Oh, that didn't work. We're going to take you to even a higher place, a high mountain, looking over everything. And the escalation went on, not only physically, but it also went spiritually. As you notice, it wasn't just bread. It ended with all these things can be yours. I will give all these to you if you will fall down and worship me. Matthew 4, 9. You can expect that the attack will be escalated. Very important. Principle 5, closely related. The word of God is always our sword and should not be put down simply because the first blow dealt did not drive away the tempter. Christ, the perfect example of how to do this. Here he gives a verse, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That didn't stop the devil. He just shifted the attack as he would do in your life. He's going to shift and come a slightly different angle. Got to be ready for that. What happens? Christ responds again. Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Well, that didn't work. Where still the attack escalates even more. It shifts angle another uh, once again. Does that mean Christ just says, well, that, this isn't going to work? No, he continues to use the sword. goes again, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall you shall you serve you can't put down your sword because that's your only weapon that is your only weapon and if you're going to fight well against the opposition of your life in whatever area it would be you can't fight if you put your weapon down your toast you've got to remember this is this is scripture this is the the power of god's word is able to uh, to free you, give you overcoming power as we were singing earlier.
Now, impression number six, principle number six. The Word of God has multiple purposes or multiple abilities. It can drive away the evil, but will also bring, but also brings relief and peace to our souls following the battle. Matthew 4.11 Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So if you stick it out and continue to use Scripture, and this is why you've got to have a plan, because when the opposition comes, you've got to be willing to shift and dodge and move. And okay, and I'm going to use this scripture here. And oh, here's a slight variation of that attack. Well, I've got another, another truth here I can use. And here's another slight variation of that attack. I've got another truth here I can use. And then all of a sudden, uh, the devil leaves. Man, I, I can't get him today. I'll try another day. And all those verses you've been going over now minister to your soul. Man, his promises are true. He never will leave me or forsake me. He'll not allow me to be tempted beyond that which I can bear. All the promises that you have and that maybe that you're using in the battle begin to minister to your souls. Hey, this really does work. Christ really is who he says he was. This word of God really is true. Six principles. Six impressions that you can see in Matthew 4 and Ezra 4. And I'm going to go over them quickly once again. When doing the will of God... And especially when doing a hard or difficult task for the advancement of the kingdom, expect that opposition will come. I had the word know that opposition will come was in there and I didn't feel like it was strong enough because you've got to expect. You can't just know. Yep, I think it's probably going to come. No, you've got to expect, plan for it, that the opposition is going to come. Principle number two, fully expect that the opposition will be strong and unfair in nature. The enemy is going to give you lies. He's going to play upon um, whatever he can use. He's going to take truth and twist it slightly. He did that in Matthew 4. He begins quoting scripture right back to Jesus, but he quotes it out of context. And Christ spots it, the untruth there, and turns it on its head. You've got to be. Un- you got to understand that the opposition will be strong and unfair in nature. If you play football and you're playing on the line, they will teach you. You've got to knock that man back, because if you expect just to meet him in the middle and then lock arms with him and push against him and he push against you, you'll lose, because you've got to come with more force to push him back. Well, oftentimes we think, well, hey, yeah, we're just going to kind of lock arms with the enemy and we're just going to wrestle him a little bit, and no problem here. Now, his, his whole goal is to knock you back. He's going to come strong with as much force as needed to try to push you off your game. Fully expect that the opposition will be strong and unfair in nature. Number three, expect the opposition to be targeted at your weak areas. Now, this is imperative that you know what are my weak areas. Do I get a little, little out of sorts when I'm fatigued? Some people do, some people don't. Is, is there levels of stress in my life? If I've got a little too much work going on and I'm taking that into the home where it's beginning to escalate and I can feel, man, these temptations are becoming a whole lot more. Well, you've got to know whatever those weak areas are so that you can know, ah, I've got to put those checks and balances in place to keep me from allowing those areas to get so weak that I might fall in those areas. But then you've got the strong areas you've got to look out for. Watch out for the attacks upon the strong areas as well. Number four, the opposition rarely leaves when you begin to fight back, 
but in fact normally escalates the attack. Normally escalates the attack. If you, if you read in Revelation chapter 12, you see uh, very clearly the, the audacity, the strength, the power of the devil seeking to destroy. And it's not child's play. And we as Christians have got to understand we are engaged in a battle, a monumental battle, one that is going on at all times. Unfortunately, we don't see it. And I say unfortunately because if we saw it, we would probably be much better equipped to battle every single day. If you had somebody across the enemy lines shooting a gun at you all day long, as was happening there in Germany and other places in World War I and World War II, you were ready for battle. Well, you can't see those bullets coming at you. And so you're not as, you're not as prepared today. You're not thinking, well, it's going to come. But it's going to come. And when you begin to fight back, he's trying to take you over. So there's going to be an escalation of the attack. Got to watch out for that. Principle number five. The word of God is always our sword and should not be put down simply because the first blow dealt did not drive away the tempter. I love Hebrews 12 where it talks about you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And I'll tell people all the time, if you think you're fighting hard, you can always fight harder. You haven't shed any blood yet, have you? No, I haven't shed any blood yet. Well, then you can go a little harder. You can always fight harder. And you can always use that sword and keep going, keep pressing. Be encouraged to know that as you do it, you will win the day. The Word of God it will always is always true. The Word of God is always our sword and should not be put down simply because the first blow dealt did not drive away the tempter. And the last one, the Word of God has multiple purposes. It can drive away the devil, but will also bring but also brings relief and peace to our souls following the battle. That's why you've got to be in the Word. So I suggest you take some sort of scripture reading plan and be in it so that you're diligently, systematically in the Word, working through it, uh, putting these things into your heart. If, you're, if you do memorize the catechism, as I would encourage you to do, and you're memorizing those verses at home, those will help. Those will give you uh, ammunition. Those will be things that encourage your soul as well as help you in the battle. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, as we sung this morning, what a wonderful Savior, that you give us overcoming power. And oh, what a wonderful Savior you are. Father, I pray that as we would prepare for 2014, and as uh, families and individuals, even in this room and those that are not here today, are planning and thinking about what does 2014 look like, as they're praying through these things, and as they endeavor to, to strengthen weak areas, to grow, to do more, to advance forward the cause of Christ, Lord, that you would help us to remember these type of things. That we are in a battle, and it is a fierce and gory battle. And it is one, Lord, that we can look around and see uh, the casualties, the wounds around us from those who are engaged in it, even our own lives, that have either fallen or taken a hard blow. And Lord, we are grateful that you have won the war, that you have conquered 
death and sin. And that as we put our trust and hope in you alone, we, we battle and we struggle now, but we, will, we ultimately will stand victorious alongside you. Not because of how well we fought, but because of your grace extended to us by how well your son fought. But Lord, help us to not, not give up too easily as we are called to stand firm in the faith, as we are called to put on the armor according to Ephesians 6, and to battle not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and rulers of this dark world. So Father, we are going to be in the battle if we are Christians, and help us to be engaged well, to understand the, the tactics and the nature of the opposition, but to realize the strength and superiority of the Word of God, the weapon that we have to use. A sword that's sharper than any two-edged sword. That's so sharp it can divide joints and marrow. A sword that can be used to encourage and yet also used to, to slay and drive away the enemy. Help us to use that sword well. Help us to be diligent in applying it to our lives and memorizing it and meditating it. Father, I thank you for uh, the principle that as we would, the more we sow, the more we reap. And help us, Lord, to sow much in your word this year. Not just to read a little bit of it, but to memorize it and meditate it, be doers of the word, to write that down, write things down that, that you show us in your word. And as we would sow more time and energy and effort in the knowing of your word, Lord, we can trust that we will reap much in the way of encouragement to our souls and understanding of how to use the scripture be- scriptures better in battle, understanding of how to use the scriptures better in encouraging and uplift and lifting up the downtrodden souls that are around us. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to fellowship this morning and pray that Our times of conversation would be of great encouragement to one another. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.